Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Hamilton, Ontario, 1946. A headless human torso is discovered by a group of children. A dead baby is found in a suitcase. And a beautiful young woman is sent to prison for murder. But after serving only 11 years of a life sentence, she is released and given a new identity and a whole new life, courtesy of the National Parole Board. And then she simply disappears. I'm Catherine Fogarty, and in this podcast, I'm bringing Evelyn Dick back to life, the irresistible femme fatale who was the central figure in one of the most shocking murder cases in Canadian history. This is Where Are You, Mrs. Dick? Episode 4, Remnants and Remains. On Tuesday, March 19th, the human torso discovered on Hamilton Mountain is identified as John Dick, a Russian streetcar driver who has been missing for two weeks. It doesn't take long for the police to narrow in on a prime suspect, his estranged wife, Evelyn, who doesn't seem too upset over his brutal demise. Hamilton playwright Brian Morton. The correct response for a woman is to burst into tears and say, oh my God, what am I going to do? And she says, don't look at me, I don't know anything about it. Just emotionally as cool as a cucumber. That's why the cops think she's guilty. Not only does Evelyn fail to weep for her dead husband, whose head, arms, and legs are still missing, but she tells the cops it's his fault he was killed. According to her, John Dick was dicking around, pardon the pun, with married women and got some fella's wife pregnant. So the irate husband hired a few wise guys from Windsor to, quote, put him out of business. In fact, one of the hired killers is a sharp dresser by the name of Tony Romanelli. So how does Evelyn know all this? Well, according to her, the mobsters needed her help specifically her driving skills, 
to assist in getting rid of the body, or what was left of it. So other than driving the car that was later found to have bloodstains in it, Evelyn declares she knows nothing else about John Dick's murder. Suspicious of her story about a jealous husband and a mob hit, the police decide to keep the beautiful young widow in jail until they can find more evidence that will connect her to her husband's gruesome murder. And it doesn't take long. On March 23rd, the Packard sedan that Evelyn had borrowed from Bill Landig on March 6th was examined by Hamilton pathologist Dr. Dedman. He immediately noticed several stains in the car that appeared to be blood. When the doctor looked in the back of the car, he noticed something jammed in the corner between the seat and the door frame. It was a man's necktie that was still tied and bloodstained. When shown the tie, Bill Landig remembered something he hadn't told the police. On March 7th, the day after Evelyn returned the car, he had found a man's sweater in the back seat. It was a blue sleeveless pullover with a couple of holes in the front and a tear in the back. Landig assumed the dark reddish stains on the sweater were car oil. Not knowing whose it was, he tossed it onto the floor of the garage and forgot about it. Later, when the police examined the sweater, the stains were confirmed to be blood, type O, the same as John Dick's. On the same day Evelyn had been taken in for questioning, the police had searched her Carrick Avenue home. In a purse belonging to Evelyn, they found a small snapshot of a husky, well-built, handsome man. And in a trunk in the attic, they found two large frame photographs of the same guy. But who was he? They soon learned that the man in the photos was Bill Bohuzak, a well-known Hamilton oarsman and bachelor about town. His name had also been found on a scrap of paper amongst John Dick's possessions. What was his connection to the beautiful widow and the now-deceased streetcar driver? The police decided to pay Bill Bohuzak a friendly visit, but when a search of his home turned up a 32 caliber revolver, the same caliber that John Dick had been shot with, they suddenly had more questions for the handsome athlete. Little did the police know that by bringing Bill Bohuzak into the station, they were handing Mrs. Dick her next storyline and another sucker to pin a murder on. While Evelyn sat at the police station waiting to sign her statement from the previous day, the one about the hired hitman, she learned that her ex-lover, Bill Bohuzak, had been brought in for questioning. She soon wanted to amend her statement. Relaxed and chain-smoking all the while, Evelyn proceeded to tell Inspector Wood and Sergeant Preston that Bill Bohuzak had borrowed $200 from her for a job he was arranging. What kind of job, asked Inspector Wood. For John to be fixed, Evelyn replied, matter-of-factly. According to her, Bill wanted John dead because John had embarrassed him at his work. 
The $200 was a down payment for the mobsters in Windsor who were going to do the job. But Bill eventually returned the $200, saying the Italians had upped their price and the hit was just too expensive. But no sooner had Evelyn implicated her ex-boyfriend in the murder of her husband, she then reverted back to her story from the day before. But this time, she had more details. According to her, the gangsters from Windsor met John Dick for a drink at the King George Hotel on the afternoon of March 6th. Why John agreed to go with these men he didn't know, she failed to explain. Then they invited him to go for a drive up Hamilton Mountain, where they pulled over in a secluded area and consumed more alcohol. By around 3.30, John started getting anxious when he realized he was going to be late for work. He wanted the men to take him back to the city. But then the car they were in got stuck in the mud. An argument ensued, and according to Evelyn, Romanelli let him have it. What do you mean? asked Inspector Wood. One shot in the back of the neck and one through the right eyeball, said Evelyn. Then, according to Mrs. Dick, the two gangsters took John's body to a house in the north end of the city, cut it up, and burned the head, arms, and legs in a furnace. But if Evelyn wasn't there when John Dick was killed, how did she know all these details? Tony Romanelli, the Italian hitman from Windsor, had told her the whole sordid story when she met him later that day to dispose of John's remains back up on Hamilton Mountain. And just to conclude, in case the police weren't sure where this new narrative was going, Romanelli told Evelyn it was Bill Bohuzak who paid him to get rid of John Dick. Evelyn also conveniently remembered that the Italian gangster had threatened her with a revolver and a scalping knife. She had no choice but to do what he said. And, in contradiction to her statement the night before, she did indeed know the gangster, Tony Romanelli. She said she had met him at the horse races five years prior, but she didn't know where he lived. Inspector Wood listened carefully to what Evelyn was telling them, but he wanted to ask her more about the borrowed car. Police had found witnesses who had seen Evelyn trying to back the Packard into her garage the afternoon John Dick disappeared. The only real evidence that links her to the crime at all is that black Packard sedan, which she has seen on Wednesday, March the 6th, driving down the alleyway behind her house on Carrick Avenue, trying to angle it into the garage, not being a very good driver and hammering the garage door with the rear of the Packard. The neighbors then come out in a hurry and she takes off. Now that's very incriminating because the Packard, when she returns it three hours later, there's bloodstains in the back. Now she says that the bloodstains came from her daughter Heather who had a nosebleed. She left a note and she left money to pay for the cleaning of the car. So. That's incriminating. Were parts of John Dick's body in that car when Evelyn was seen trying to back it into the garage? The police were starting to put a timeline together of the day John Dick disappeared, and Evelyn's stories weren't matching up. 
But before she had time to change her story again, the police wanted to get a signed statement. While the police were talking to Evelyn, Francis Evans, a lawyer representing Bill Bohuzak, arrived at the police station. He wanted to see his client. And he also wanted to see Evelyn Dick, who was being represented by Orville Walsh in the same Hamilton law firm. Walsh had instructed Evans to tell Mrs. Dick not to make or sign any statements for the police. But it was already too late. They prevent her lawyer from seeing her, that this is documented. There's no question. Preston mm-hmm. says that uh, she's down at the jail, but she's not. She's on the second floor of the police station. He's well aware that she's on the second floor of the police station. She tells her supposed lawyer, that he says, I'm representing Mrs. McLean, and he says, oh, she's down at the jail. No, she's not. She's up on the second floor being questioned by Charles Wood. He lies to her. This is documented. He goes down to the jail. The warden says she's at the police station. So this runaround goes on because she's giving statements. Evans would later testify in court that by the time he did see Mrs. Dick, she had already signed her statement. On the morning of Thursday, March 21st, Inspector Charlie Wood and Sergeant Clarence Preston arrived at Evelyn Dick's house at 32 Carrick Avenue. Evelyn's mother spoke with Wood in the living room while Preston searched the house. Looking in the attic, Preston noticed a large trunk that had been locked the last time he had searched the house. But now, it looked like someone had broken open the lock. He looked inside and saw some bath towels, old clothing, and a few books. When questioned about the trunk in the attic, Alexandra McLean told the sergeant that her husband, Donald, had broken into it the night before. According to Mrs. McLean, her estranged husband had shown up drunk, and when he found out the police had searched the attic, he rushed up there. He then asked her for a hammer and screwdriver to pry open the lock on the trunk, but she didn't see if he had removed anything from it. Preston made note of the trunk and continued to search the rest of the house. Taking the stairs down to the basement, Preston noticed a bushel basket containing ashes as well as a small pile of ashes on the floor. Dark stains on the basket looked like blood. Preston carried the basket out to the garage where he dumped the ashes on the cement floor and grabbed a nearby rake to spread them out. Mixed in with the grey dusty particles, the sergeant spotted small white fragments. He opened the garage doors to allow more light in and saw more white bits catching the light. Then, looking on the driveway, the sergeant could see more ashes and more white fragments. Bending down, he picked something up. It was a human tooth. Preston realized two things right away. He was standing in the middle of a crime scene and he was going to need more help. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Later that same afternoon, Hamilton pathologist Dr. Dedman and his assistant arrived at the Carrick Avenue address to assist the police with gathering more physical evidence. All of the ashes from the basement, garage, and driveway were collected and sent to the city morgue, where they would be sifted, washed, and sorted. They had found several more pieces of what appeared to be bone material and teeth fragments. Dr. Dedman was sure he recognized parts of leg, arm, and skull bones mixed in the ashes. Dr. Denman also tested the stains on the bushel basket and confirmed it was human blood, type O, the same as John Dix. After returning to the police station that evening, Wood and Preston reviewed their notes. They were sure that they had found some of John Dick's remains, thereby further implicating Evelyn in her husband's murder. But something was still bothering Sergeant Preston. It was that trunk in the attic. Why had Donald McLean broken it open, and what might he have removed? They decided that a further search of the Carrick Avenue house and Donald McLean's home would be conducted the following day. On Friday, March 22nd, Detective John Freeborn, a 26-year veteran of the Hamilton Police Force, was assigned to accompany two Ontario Provincial Police officers to conduct another search of Evelyn Dick's house. It was a routine search. The detective had conducted many in his career, but this was a day that he and the other two officers would never forget. 
When Detective Freeman began the search of the house on Carrick Avenue, he and the other officers found several items of interest. In Evelyn's bedroom, they found a purse with a human tooth and a man's gold watch chain. The watch appeared to have bloodstains on it. When they went up to the attic, they noticed several unlocked trunks and old suitcases. But then Freeman noticed a beige suitcase in the corner of the attic. It was locked. Freeman didn't know at the time, but this was the suitcase Evelyn's mother had brought to the hospital when Evelyn gave birth to her son. She had returned home from the hospital, carrying the suitcase, but without the baby. According to Alexandra McLean, Evelyn said she'd given the baby to Children's Aid to be put up for adoption. Detective Freeman brought the suitcase down from the attic. It was very heavy. When asked about its contents, Alexandra McLean told the policeman it contained some old books and the key to its lock had been long lost. Freeman decided he wanted to take a look inside. He pried open the lock with a screwdriver and was immediately taken aback by a strong, foul odor. Inside the suitcase was a burlap bag covering a wicker basket, and inside the basket was a cement-filled cardboard box with pieces of clothing protruding through the cement. There were no books. Freeman had no idea what he had just discovered in the attic of Evelyn Dick's home, but he knew he needed to get it to the police station right away. On his way out of the house, Freeman asked Alexander McLean who the suitcase belonged to. Evelyn, she replied. While the cops rushed back to the police station with the suitcase and other items they found at Carrick Avenue, another group of people were gathering for a somber occasion inside a small Mennonite church in Vineland, Ontario. On that cold, rainy spring afternoon, the remains of John Dick were laid to rest. After the discovery of the suitcase at Evelyn's home, the police decided to search Donald McLean's house a second time. Had he removed something incriminating from the locked trunk in the attic? At the Rosalind Street address, where they had already found a 32 caliber handgun, the police found a gun locker in the attic. An interesting find, since Donald McLean said he didn't own any guns. In the locker, they found two shotguns and two rifles. But even more interesting than the guns was an envelope full of cash, over $4,000. And the cash wasn't the only thing the police found. When the police raided his place, they found significant amounts of cash and particularly large amounts of used bus tickets, which were all over that basement that he lived in on, on Roslyn Avenue. McLean had been stealing the tickets out of the fare boxes and reselling them. We know that he had rings of people who were selling used bus tickets. So he would sell used bus tickets. He'd sell 10 tickets for a dollar. And so he had a number of agents working at the steel company gates. And obviously, if you were commuting to work at the steel company, the idea of getting half-price bus tickets uh, was a real incentive. In total, the police seized more than 26,000 bus and streetcar tickets. 
The combination to the Hamilton Streetcar and Rail Company's vault was later found on a piece of paper in the house. In addition to finding paper bags stuffed with used bus tickets in McLean's basement, the police also made some other disturbing discoveries. Beneath a workbench, in a large wooden box, they found a pair of muddy black Oxford shoes with what appeared to be bloodstains on them. There was also a butcher's knife with a 15-inch blade and a small carpenter's strip saw. The shoes were later identified as belonging to John Dick. Another intriguing find in McLean's house was a 1944 edition of Famous Detective Stories, a pulp fiction magazine popular at the time. Of particular interest was a story about a woman who was murdered, dismembered, and her body parts burned in a furnace. It was a blueprint on how to cut up a body. Later that day, the suitcase found in Evelyn's attic was photographed at the police station and reopened by pathologist Dr. Dedman. When he chiseled away the cement, it revealed a zippered shopping bag. Beneath the shopping bag, stuck to the cement, was a khaki-colored shirt with a waistband that bore a name tag, E. McLean, 1941. This was later identified as part of the Red Cross uniform Evelyn had purchased to impress the local military men. And inside the shopping bag? The partially mummified remains of a newborn baby boy. Dr. Dedman noted right away that the infant had been doubled up, bent over, and forced into the bag. The baby was fully clothed in a diaper, a cotton shirt, an infant's dress, and a knitted wool sweater. Decomposition was so advanced that the left foot and ankle were missing. The pathologist may have questioned if the baby had died from a natural death shortly after its birth, except for the knotted piece of heavy string looped around its neck. The newborn baby boy had been strangled. On the next episode of Where Are You, Mrs. Dick? How is Evelyn going to explain the bone fragments found scattered amongst the ashes in her garage and on the driveway? Yes, she almost certainly had something to do with the disposal of the body. She almost certainly had something to do with uh, um, with hiding the crime after the fact, although not very well. There's a lot of evidence that's left behind, and you would say a careful murderer is somebody that planned this methodically. What part did Evelyn take in the murder and dismemberment of her husband, John Dick? Who else was involved? My gut reaction was always that John Dick uh, was murdered by her father, Donald McLean. But I doubt Donald pulled the trigger. I think there's probably somebody that got paid to pull the trigger. And the baby in the attic? Who murdered Evelyn Dick's newborn son? I still don't think that Evelyn murdered that baby, even though that's the one she's convicted of. I think the likely person who murdered that child is either Donald or even stronger is Alexandra. It's an abomination that can't be allowed to live. There are only three people that have access to that child. Evelyn, her mother, and her father. That's it. That's the likely killers of Peter David White McLean. The question is, is why did they hang on to the body? 
by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. The song Evelyn Dick is written and performed by Mark McNeil. A special thank you to Mark McNeil and Brian Morton. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. For more information on this episode and other podcasts, visit us at storyhunterpodcasts.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.